You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is fueled by joy. Joy Dog Food has been in business for many decades, since the 1940s. They've never had a recall. They only use 100% American-made products to bring you a dog food formula that is going to keep your hounds on their feet and performing at a high level late round bound the next bear race the next cat race whatever you got going joy can keep your dog fueled up i personally feed joy for this reason they are not afraid to get in the trenches and get in the fight they will show up at a local meeting where people are trying to pass tethering laws or uh, breeders bills or whatever and put their name on that and put their reputation on the line to support us so find Joy Dog Food on the internet, find that dealer locator, find a dealer near you. Go to joydogfood.com and keep those hounds fueled by joy. Talk about talk about losing stuff or whatever in kids. My wife's just as bad. The other day I took I took my e-collar off my yog. Yeah. And uh I just set it on a in a box of stuff that I was gonna carry out anyway. Yeah. I couldn't find that thing for four or five days. I found it stuffed in one of my boots. <laughs> I'm like, what the and there were they weren't even my boots or a pair of boots that Jake left here when he moved out. It's like, how the <laughs> hell was I ever gonna find that? Uh, well <laughs> with kids and wives, it's amazing the places that you find stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was losing my mind. It's just like, this is crazy. I mean, I, I'll I'll set that stuff down in the house and and walk out and get distracted and then be like, where's my phone? Where's this? Whatever. But I literally thought I was losing my mind over that over that e collar. Yep. And I was just like, what the heck? Well, when I when you lose an e collar with a dog like your jog or bogan or something like that, it's important. Yeah, it is. You need that thing. <laughs> yeah. Bogan wears his for life, I think. I don't know if that dog's ever going to be able to run around in public without one on him. I'm with you, dude. I, Tough's actually pretty good until you get him to, if you take him to the woods, then Jerry Maul was hunting with me one night. And he's like, is that little dog hunt? And I looked at my Garmin and he was like 860. Yeah, by himself, trailing off by himself. He's probably scorching a deer, trying to oh, yeah. find a possum to molest, or you know something. But I, he, yeah, he'll hunt. He'll he'll he kind of worries me too, especially this time of year. Well, a dog like that, that likes to be in the ground too. Yeah, yeah. The ground, the ground deal, and then right now the the coyotes are denning, yeah. and I've had more run-ins with coyotes this time of year than 
than any other time of the year. So are your coyote numbers up like ours are up? Because I'm having more coyote conflict now uh, in the last two years than I ever have. And this um, always this time of year, you know, it's always when the, when the females have us, but you know, I hunt the same places, you know, I've lived here for 35 years hunting pretty much the same place, same, same 30 or 40 turn loose spots. I think our coyote numbers are actually down because we've got more, got more red Fox and yeah. when you've got, Oh yeah. So, yeah. so if you got and more our, red, our Fox, red Fox only live in town. Yep. They do not venture very far outside of town or they're going to get eight. You can, you can be out hunting and it's nothing to see, you know, four or five, four or five red Fox across the road at night yep. while you're out driving from spot to spot. And for, you know, I'd say a couple decades anyway, it was just like, we didn't have any foxes, yep. you know, never saw one. Yeah. And, and I know that, um, like with our foxes, you never see them outside of town. Uh, we still have a good population, but always within city limits of like little bitty towns. But with all the coyote calling going on right now and how popular that sport has become, yeah, I can't believe that our coyotes, because I see coyotes hitting on the road. And when you see coyotes mm. on the road, there are a lot of coyotes. Yeah. Because they have to be pretty plentiful to get hit because they're smart. You know, they're sharp. Yeah. They're not dogs. They're not like deer where you face, if there's three deer, you're going to run over two of them. I drove to Louisiana a couple of weeks ago and it was just, I couldn't believe the number of coyotes that were dead on the interstate. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy. And that's a meso predator thing. You know, they're going to come up when the coons come up when, uh, those mid-sized predators are on, are on the uptick, you know, I think coyotes are going to follow that same, same path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And plus, you know, we feed them plenty. Yeah, we do. Just the road killed ignorant white tailed deer that I tell you, I hit a deer in my brand new truck. It had no. 460 miles on it. In which truck? The and Ranger? I, no, a new Nissan. We got the Nissan for work, a Ford. Oh, yeah. Your Frontiers. Yeah. And on the way back from Super Stakes, right in the middle of I 70. I'd been dodging deer all night and I finally smoked one. I'm, I'm over deer, pal. I'm over. Oh, yeah. I hear you, man. <laughs> I hear you. Everybody around here was complaining about a, a bad year for deer hunting. It's like, because we had the CWD outbreak yeah. I, again, I guess. And everybody's crying the blues, and and I'm just over there, just like, yes. Oh, I wish, I wish thank goodness, mate. You know, oh, it's if just my it, out, it, if my outfitter friends would have heard the words that come out of my mouth when I hit that deer, we would not be friends anymore. Oh, I guarantee it, man. I'm I cuss them, and it's just like, yeah, cuss hey, them and cuss them. They've changed. Thing, they've changed coon hunting so much. Oh yeah. And one thing I wanted to talk to you about, actually, that's a good segue into what i was going to bring up because you know you had the wolf podcast uh -huh. the last couple of weeks which was awesome i thought that was cool and i got to thinking about when me and you first started discussing you know doing the truth and doing this segment on houndsman xp it was about which is houndsman xp has always been about bridging gap mm -hmm. you know bridging that gap between the houndsman and the other sportsmen the houndsman and uh, the everyday suburbanite, all that stuff, you know, you got to figure it out. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, like I said, I think it gets closer all the time, but you know, there's another gap to bridge. And we, we the truth's kind of gotten away from that a little bit because we're so focused on these guys that are winning big and all that stuff, which is great too. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's the part that, that makes me interested. Mm -hmm. I was listening to that wolf stuff 
And when they sat down and they hunted that trapper up and they laid the money on the table for that trapper to come get them wolves. And I was just like, you know what? That is bridging a gap. And sometimes necessity is what does it. Yeah. You know, we've talked about the coon numbers in the coon killing contest and the trappers. And I still haven't gonna, got, I still and, haven't stopped getting hate mail over that one. No, I haven't either. I haven't either. <laughs> but, Would you do it again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my opinion is my opinion and the facts are the facts. That's right. You know, it's, it, you just can't, it's the truth. That's what we do on yeah. this show. We, we tell the truth and, and to think that trappers trapping culvert ditches along I-70 are going to affect their coon hunting is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, that I've, I've said that for years. There's a stretch of road here, um, in my community that runs from runs along the Ohio river and it runs from rising sun up to Aurora. And you always see 20, 30, you know, it wasn't a, it's nothing to see 20 or 30 dead coons on that stretch of road yep. in a month. Yeah. And the, the thing of it is I've got another buddy of mine that's a trapper and he could trap all of that. There's yep. no way I could hunt that. Right. I, I mean, that was just, it, you, my dogs would be dead on that road. Yep. I, I tried to get Daniel Clipperton who is a well-known coonhound trainer. Uh, some of the best dogs on the planet have come from Clipperton's place. He doesn't go to hunts, uh, but he, he gets smart. pups, he starts pups, he, he sells, sells dogs ready or real close to being ready to be in hunts for good money, and he does it all the time. That's like Bub Blackwell. Right, right. He's yeah, very similar man. to Bub, except he's not going to ever see a Casper. You'll see Bub very rarely yeah, in a Casper. Sure. He'll be with Austin where he's at a hunt. But you, you, mm -hmm. you don't see Clipperton at a hunt. Right. But, uh, you know, Laura Lee came from Clipperton's, I believe. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of them that come from Clipperton. But he's a huge trapper. Loves to trap. Still yeah. finishes, his all, finishes all his fur. Has a real nice trap and shed with a full bar in it. And you know, you're, there's a bar, and a, a real nice bar, and a big screen, and then he's skinning behind you. you yeah, know, don't, it, don't mind the coon grease, boys. Exactly. Pour up another. Not one. exactly the most appetizing smell to go in and, and get you a pizza and a beer, but uh, you know, it's it's a skin and shed first and a bar second. But <laughs> just I, I wanted to get him on the podcast and he don't want to do it. He's one of those guys that, oh, I don't speak well or something, but he would do just fine. And I'm still working on him. But I was talking to Clipperton and other trappers and probably I'm just going to guess. I don't have these numbers in my back pocket, but in the county that I live in, there's probably when trapping was was prevalent. You know, they're 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 taking 10 to 12,000 coons probably. These trappers are, you know, yeah. in 2013, the last year, the fur boom was high and you didn't see any roadkill. No, nope. either wasn't enough to get run over or they, them, they picked them up and skinned them. Yeah. I got 18 bucks for coons. Yeah. Then. I averaged, I averaged 2250 that year green in 13. Yeah. That was right before the big bust. And I trapped real hard that year, but everybody had, especially with dog fish, everybody had steel on the ground. Mm -hmm. And we went out that April and still treed the fire out of raccoon. And they were taking way more than one coon killing contest that takes, say, of seven, eight, nine hundred coons. Uh, I've I've seen the ebbs and flows of coon populations, and with my background in wildlife management, you know, as the enforcement side, but still, I mean, you, you had the experience with it. I can tell you, man, um, 
the we had years where the coon numbers were down where we would walk up hollers and and find dead coons yeah yeah from the distemper yeah and that's way harder in it than it is oh man way harder and that and and the thing that people you know everybody crying about these coon competitions are actually helping the coon population because distemper is a, a density disease yeah. yeah it's transmitted through you know population density mm-hmm. so i would rather have you know 10 raccoons in 200 areas that are healthy than have 20 or 30 that that are going to be spreading disease around because it, it'll come i mean yeah. it's coming it, it's just a matter of it always does yeah so, and, it, and i'm surprised it hasn't hit yet i really am I am too. I'm yeah. surprised we haven't just had a massive outbreak of distemper as, as thick as the coons are. Especially the way they're being fed now. You look at right here where there's a lot of corporate hog farms, mm-hmm. uh, the deer hunters with their feeders, uh, real small pockets of feed. I, me and Finley was hunting two nights ago, and I pulled up to a little frog pond that's just got bean field around it where I start a lot of pups. We was actually going to cut a couple older dogs there. We was going to send... Uh, angel or hazel and scent and there were seven coon in the bean field digging up old rotten beans and there were five around this little frog pond and this is when the sows are supposed to be in their den right and kids and of course we didn't turn two old dogs loose in the middle of that i took my pup back there last night but there's 12 coon right there and this is a 40 acre farm just right there you know, that that's just right here by the house. Now it's surrounded by a lot of stuff, but yeah. there's, there's 12 coon that I can see with my eyeballs on the ground. If we'd have got out and shined around, who knows? And that, that was all in about a two acre spot. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those coons get sick. They're all sick. They all die. You nailed it in that podcast with Dan Brayman. And I even said it in, you know, the, the wolf podcast that we just dropped with foundation for wildlife management, you know, Deer hunters never have enough deer. Elk hunters right. never have enough elk. Coon hunters never have enough coons. And as hunters, we get so focused on that that we forget. We forget that that's not always the best thing right. for sustaining wildlife. You know, there is such a thing as too many. And, and yeah, I, I guarantee you that there are way more coons that are killed with fly bait and mountain dew every year and in some of these in some of the live traps and and than there ever have been in in a, a coon killing contest yeah and here's the deal if if we don't step up and solve the problem you know, the farmer down the road, yeah, it's cool to go down there and start pups and have a coon up every bush. But if if we don't step up, that ag community is so strong. They can they can sway opinions in legislative bodies who call the the fish and wildlife and mm-hmm. fish and wildlife starts coming up with ways to kill them for us. Yeah. You know, that's what they've done here in Indiana. We went from, you know, no no running from February 1st to May 15th, uh, to, to now we run almost year round and you can kill coons year round with written permission and you can, a landowner can take coons anytime on any of his property for any reason, or I can, if he gives me written permission. 
and we're all going to year-round uh, raccoon seasons. You know, right now, Missouri extended theirs last year. Uh, it starts in August now. No kidding. Yeah, it runs from August until, I believe, October 15th. And then stops again until November 15th. So there's a month between October 15th. And but we're only a year or two away from having it year round. Yeah. We need a spring season at least. Uh, that way, you know, we can help the deer hunters and we can help the turkey hunters more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's coming. I mean, I, I know that's right down the pipe. But if people were, would just understand the sheer amount of coons that me and Finley kill, <laughs> they would understand that. We're not going to hurt them with one coon killing contest a year. Well, when Georgia, Georgia put it on the, on the books that you could hunt, you know, landowners could take coons year round. Yeah. You know, a lot of these big farms and, and leases down there, the turkey hunters were, were the ones that were doing that trapping and, and trapping coons out of there. And it'd be nice if it'd be like the state would say, Hey, if you want to trap coons year round, then you need to give permission to somebody to coon hunt there. That'd be the perfect world solution. Yeah. But but that's not how policy works. No. And and that's not how wildlife management works. And and it's just never gonna happen. You know, that well, it's all everything's such a slow, tedious process, and especially today in in the Facebook age, everybody wants it right now. Yeah. We want a rule change in, in UKC, we want it right now. We want to have some law changed or some deal going on with the hunt or whatever we want it right now. And they just don't work that way. Uh, a bureaucracy, you know, you, you were a game warden for a while. You know, the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy is, is very strong. <laughs> it's yes. not going anywhere. It takes bureaucracy is the worst thing that ever happened to wildlife management yeah. that, and, and, you know, it's so weaponized and politicized these days. That's what we talked about in that, that wolf podcast. I mean, there's nothing that's been more weaponized than, than the gray wolf, right. you know, and then that's what a mess. I wanted one thing I wanted to ask you now that we've touched on that subject is what makes human beings view large predators so much differently than every other animal. Uh, man, you, it's, it's a whole media thing. Uh, you know, you can take, I, I was, I think a lot about this. So, you know, if you go out and let's, let's say we're going to do some filming. Okay. We're going to, we're going to film different guys out there hunting different stuff with their dogs. If you go out and you film that one mountain lion getting shot mm -hmm. and, and everything, then you're going to get backlash on that. But the same people say nothing about guys like, mark donovan in boston hunting wharf rats yeah with his terrier exactly. you know so it's it used to be brown eyes and if it had if it had brown eyes and eyelashes then you know and deer were the thing it was everybody had a soft spot for that yeah. but with the the level of of attention that these big uh, apex predators are getting a lot of it boils down to there's a lot of money in organizations like center for biological diversity, the mountain lion foundation, uh, HSUS, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of money there 
for them to build this media hype around that wolf or that lion or that bear. And, and they don't, the guys at the top, they're just cashing checks. That's all they're doing. Oh yeah. You know, the, the average person out there that, that shows up at these local meetings, they're, they're passionate about it. They, you know, they don't want you hunting, but the guys at the top know that they're never going to stop hunting, but they like cashing those checks. And, and that's where it's at. That's why we see such, such a big push on it is because there's been a lot of money being spent to fuel that propaganda machine. But what if I started the save the opossums foundation? I think you should. It's the I only should. North American marsupial. Marsupial. I know it's a very special animal. Jeff Wright. It's got a bifurcated penis. Yeah, Jeff Wright is a uh, wildlife biologist who done his study on uh, uh, the travel habits of uh, possums in like urban areas, and he he lived over here by me. He used to come quail hunt with me all the time. Now I, I think he's in. He was in Montana for a while. I haven't spoke to Jeff for a while, but. He did a big study on, he collared possums and turned them back loose, you know, and one of them died in a beauty shop in the wall and he went in there to get his collar and they didn't know what the smell was. And they were so mad at him because they didn't tell him that he lived in the wall and all this stuff. But yeah, he would, he would be a good backup for the possum foundation, but, <laughs> but why do, cause possums are cool. You know, I don't shoot possums just for fun or take them during coon season or fur bear season or anything because, you know, I want to leave that possum there just in case I'm guiding in that spot and I know my dog won't. Maybe some <laughs> other dog will. But I could take a possum and I could hold it up dead and nobody's going to bat an eye. Nope. Nobody's going to care. But when's the last time we named a possum? We've got the you, lion. We got that limping ass bear that walked on. However, legs that they they don't name them. They, the they flip side it, to that though, predators. The flip side to that though, you remember that post that? I mean, even houndsmen were posting it. You know, all about how they poss eat all the possums eat they don't have three million ticks a day. Yeah, you know, and that that study was totally. It totally came from the, the animal zealots. Yeah, the possum foundation. foundation. <laughs> it sure they did. Possums. Yep. <laughs> it, it was all a setup that that study was done. They didn't feed this possum anything except ticks yeah. in a box. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, he's going to eat them. He's yeah. hungry, you yeah. know. But it was all bull crap. There's, There's cat there food are... in there and see how many ticks he eats. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. If he can walk up on your porch and eat your cat's food, he's not eating ticks. Yeah. So I mean, I just but I still don't understand. To me, a snake is a rat, is a duck, is a deer, is a wolf, is a, they're all the same to me. You know, I get, I get the same views. You look at it from a healthy herd standpoint instead of an individual standpoint. Uh, the thing about animal rights activists and people that see animals and, oh, don't hunt this, don't that, that they're more concerned about the individual animal, animal than they are the species. Mm -hmm. But they don't do that with so many other types of animals, but they do it with big predators. Even even hunters, uh, even hunters will look at someone that will tree a mountain lion and say it's not fair, or say it's not this, or I don't. That's not fair chase. You know, we've had that exactly. discussion too. Oh yeah, and they don't. But it, it, I don't get it. A pheasant behind a in front of a setter is fair chase, but a freaking hundred and fifty pound mountain lion above a dog is not. Yeah, I mean it doesn't make any sense. It's nonsensical. Nope. I'll tell you what I think a lot of it is, and we probably get a lot of hate mail over this. Hopefully, hopefully we do. That means some deer hunters and other 
other hunting groups are listening to this podcast. Yeah. But, uh, you know, hunters in general, I feel like are, are losing. They, they, they've lost their skills to hunt and it's because it doesn't take anything to go out and shoot a deer. No, you know, it does. It's, it's no challenge. You can do it. You can do it just about any day of the week you want. Now, killing big bucks, you can add some, you know, you can add some skill level to that. However, you know, the majority of deer hunters in this area that I'm in, all they are is creating the opportunity. They're good at creating the opportunity to kill a deer. Yeah. You know, with food plots and cameras and all this other stuff, they become very good at creating the opportunity to shoot a deer. I always wonder if you took that same guy that's so passionate about his deer hunting and you took him and you blindfolded him and you dropped him in the middle of Hoosier National Forest or, you know, Daniel Boone National Forest, can he hunt his way out of there? Can he even live to get out of there? You know, because <laughs> he doesn't have his side by side. He doesn't yeah. have any of that other stuff. But but some of the houndsman stuff is kind of the same way. It's in the same vein. We've got so many coons that dogs can be trained a lot easier. Yeah. I don't even know what we would do if 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 you didn't have the coon numbers, you know, and the opportunities to put dogs on game and stuff. Well, like I remember. That. You I know, do too. It was hard without Man, our, no GPS. Uh, not not the coon numbers here that we we have now. Uh, dogs that were not as genetically superior as they are now, and that's the honest to God's truth. I know guys bang on me all the time. Dogs of today versus dogs of yesterday. Uh, just the fact that I can get a seven eight month old pup to tree its own coon, even an easy one, is unreal and would have been unheard of. 30 years mm-hmm. ago. You yeah. know, so the dogs are, the breeders have done a better job than people give them credit for. Uh, the dogs are genetically easier to start, in my opinion. And like I said, that's just opinion. But yeah, give me a, give me a Finley River dog from the late 80s and a little, a small coon population, I'm going to struggle. You bet. I, I hunt them with a direct son of Finley River Chief. And they were yeah. good dogs. They were just hard starters. Oh, yeah. Of them. Yeah. They, and he was a solid dog. He actually placed fourth in the uh, in the ACHA World Championship back in the day. We but, would be uh, much more patient. The first night I ever coon hunted, Josh, there was a guy that went with us, an older guy that was wearing a carbide light. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say, you know, I was hunting back, but it was 1983. Yeah. And and this old timer you, you guys drive your chariot to the woods. <laughs> old we rode yeah, yeah. Well, we rode the had a wagon drawn by mules. <laughs> Go get them, old Dan. Go get them, little Dan. You gotta find grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> so but it was it was a it was a different time and coons weren't as plentiful. And um I I tell you this that that the tracking abilities and the trailing abilities of those hounds was a lot better than what we have today. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of instances and a lot of strains. Yeah. yeah. There are, they were better track dogs, but, but they were trail first dogs that sure. Yeah. You know, a lot of them would be two and a half, three years old before they started treating. You know, that was not very uncommon. No, no. You know, I remember dogs from 
my best memories, my best early memories are going to be 88, you know, to 93 when I'm 8 to 13. The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is proud to partner with Cajun Lights. Cajun Lights can outfit all of your hunting light needs, everything from the high-quality Rogaroo, super bright, super versatile. They've got a Bayou, which is a mid-range price light. And then one of my personal favorites is the Micro Gator. I use that for big game hunting, finding tracks, just uh, general use. If I need a light on my head, I'm grabbing my Micro Gator. I've looked for bear tracks in that thing, lion tracks, cat tracks, coon hunting with it, hog hunting with it at night. I've even used it to work on the plumbing in the house. Super bright, super dependable. Everything that LW sells down there is high quality and the customer service is second to none. Every week I'm getting notifications that they're adding new items to their store. They've got briar proof clothing coming out. They got a jacket out right now that's really nice. I put the best through the paces this last bear season and coon season. Couldn't be happier with that. I can't find anything there that I that I don't like. And I like dealing with LW Nixon and Cajun Lights. So check them out. You can go to houndsmanxp.com. You can follow that link to Cajun Lights right from our website. Check them out, folks. And, you know, those are when, of course, we I've been hunting since I was old enough to be carried. But they were not. I remember when we had a dog that was right out of year old start tree and it was a big deal. Yeah. And they, he just went in there and, you know, covered the old dog and treed with it. And that was huge. Yep. You know, my grandfather was ecstatic about this pup tree that quick. And I think this is a cross that he'd made like 19 times. And this was litter number 17. He ought to know what they were all going to do by now. <laughs> what, what year did Wick write the book? The first book, the first I tree. Dog. I haven't read either one of them. It had to be, it had to be in that time frame, mid eighties, mid yeah. early eighties. I've got two copies of it here but um i'll check that copyright on that that hardbound book but i think wick originally you know he talked about the 18 month old pup you know if you've got an 18 month old pup that's not not doing it then then you should start looking somewhere else yeah so even back then 18 months old has been kind of the standard rule of thumb except for guys that are you know, looking for that super early starter that they can put in baby stakes and stuff like and that. One thing I have to remember is that we were not hunting with the best of the best coon hounds, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, either. We were, we were pleasure hunters, hide hunters, had our own type of strain of dogs, you know, and there were a lot of good dogs that we hunted with and we treat a lot of coon and stuff, but there were levels higher than what we were. I have no doubt. Yeah, in those, Indiana, those though, guys may have had it figured out better than we did. I'm sure they did. I drew Russ Beller at Sugar Creek Coon Hunters with Pac-Man in the 80s. Yeah. You know, and uh, Lester Nance was still getting after it then with the Nance bread hounds yep. and, and stuff here. And then you had uh, Bert Noni, you know, the Turkey Ridge Racket Dogs and stuff like that. They were around. And, and so some of those old timers, I the legends of the old days you know i i got to hunt with yeah i saw those dogs and pac-man was impressive he was he was he was legit coon dog and um but he was an old style dog you yeah. know he was he was a 
he was just an older style dog. He wasn't, he wasn't what we've got today. It's no. amazing how far we've come. And it changes monthly almost. It seems like these dogs are changing so much faster and the style of hunting is changing so much faster and the ability to get a good dog, uh, is, is getting easier. I mean, as far as just starting one, cause just like we touched on the coons are thicker, uh, the dogs are easier to start. That's what made some of these great big stud dogs so popular. The nailer, uh, the rat attack Sackett junior, uh, some of those dogs that are really the foundation of a lot of breeds today is their pup started tree and quick. Bone collector mm -hmm. was a good example there too, especially during the Zeb three days or the wipeout days when the wipeout hounds first came out and they were a little slower to start. They were trail type dogs and they were a little slower to start getting treed up until Zeb three came along. But well, go ahead and finish. Your but thought. I'm just saying that the, the, the thing that makes these dogs so much easier to start is they were good tree dogs early. Yeah. And in thick coons, you can get by with that. Mm -hmm. You know, Jerry Mall always says, he said, it's a lot easier to take tree out of a dog than to put it in. Yeah. And so he's bred his walker dogs. And if I was going to go find a walker that I would enjoy hunting, I've hunted some of Jerry's hounds, one of them. I hunted one hound for him for a while. Uh, real nice female, but he's just got some, some very nice hounds. And, um, that's how he's bred them. You know, it's easier to take it out than it is to put it in. Yeah. And some of these dogs, and I think that's why certain dogs like X Jr. did not breed as many females as those were trailing type dogs. They were, he was kind of like Zeb 3 before Zeb 3 came along. You know, it was yeah. just, but, you know, you, when you get used to a rat and yeah, they, they all get grief for throwing slick treers and stuff like that, but we didn't know then what we did know now when, when Naylor first come along or Rat or Sackett Jr. or some of them dogs, when a pup started looking up at five months old, you encouraged it. You was over there yeah. tapping that tree and petting that pup on the side. Holy cow, I got something. It's a freak of nature. Well, we didn't know they were all like that. Yeah. And we didn't know we were creating bad habits, encouraging them to tree, especially by sight and certain things like that that we did with these old style dogs. Well, that's, I've, I have seen that come back around. You know, we went through a period there where, dogs were winning big hunts i know the dog that won super stakes one year um was a guy here local that owned her owned this female and his comment about her was she never met a tree she didn't like mm -hmm. you know so she could tie up a cast she could tie yeah. up a cast for an hour and a half and she was loud so you get yeah. sucked in under the tree and if she had if she had three coons out of ten that's enough to beat you yeah you know because you couldn't hear what was going on out here and but now we've changed the rules and and massage those rules and and the dog and, is more independent too yeah they're not yeah. all going to be piled in with that dog like they were used to be right yeah. right yeah but it was just we've massaged the rules we've changed the rules and we've bred dogs that have to go and tree raccoons if they're going to win if they're going to win big and you there's still that stigma of all and you'll see it every now and then on social media of guys that have never haven't been to a hunt in 30 years and they're like well you know they just wait till the leaves are on they wait till the leaves are on well you got to wait till the leaves are on because the deer hunters are in the woods all the other time and there's plenty of hunts with the leaves off there ain't no leaves on in january in texas during yeah. the long star these dogs right. all have to tree coons they all have to to win anymore and it didn't and it didn't used to be the case i see squirrel hunting coming along 
kind of in that same style, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be expedited. It's going to go quicker. You know, it's going to go through that tree dog phase and into that having squirrels again phase faster than the coonhounds did. But some of these guys are just encouraging these dogs to tree and, you know, they can rack up enough points because it's hard to minus a squirrel dog. Oh man. All they got to do is if there's a tree in the woods that's circled and they tree in that woods, <laughs> they yeah, pretty much, Yeah, you know what the old NKC rules is, is if there's a place of refuge within 20 steps of where your dog yeah. treed, then it was a circle tree. Yeah. That's a long way. That's a long know? way, especially when you're in the middle of woods, there's yeah, never, it, especially with a squirrel. Exactly. You can hide find, anywhere. There, you can find a nest, you can find yeah. a hole in the tree. You can find it's, it's hard to minus a, a squirrel log. Yeah. And, um, squirrel, I've seen, seen this a lot, you know, a lot of squirrel hunters, especially the old timers that just be out there with the dog and they walk through the woods, shaking vines and yep. getting those squirrels to move out. And then those little feist dogs, you know, they were all eyeballs and they'd see them and they'd just go nuts and then they'd yep. catch on, but they them. also walk to a lot of empty trees. Well, I got to hunt with Jared Hughes and Shane Mason here a while back down in Louisiana. I was coming back from the Jarvis Humphers Memorial and stopped there and hunted with Jared and Shane, and they got really good squirrel dogs. Independent, have their squirrels when they tree. Yeah. Uh, Shane's hunting a feist called Traveler. Jared's hunting Kimmer Curves, and they just go out and they tree squirrels. That's yeah. it. They go out and they tree squirrels, and they were talking about how sometimes it's hard to compete with the, you know, they'll they'll turn a big loud walker dog in there that likes to get wooded, and you know it kind of blows a cast up a little bit. And the, the walker dog has to have one squirrel and three or four circle trees on a day when it's, you know, from 10 to three, when the squirrels aren't up and about, you know, and the, and the yeah. camera cur and the other dogs that want to have squirrels aren't making any trees. Right. So yeah, while it still takes, and, and the old adage is, well, just go tree squirrel and it'll beat it. You'll beat it. But you know, you can't find all of them. They're hard to find, especially when the leaves are on. So, but I ran that circuit hard, man. Really? I had yeah, oh yeah, I had mountain curves and and it's fun, uh, but ran I don't all the way, ran all the way to South to Georgia and Missouri and all over the place squirrel hunting and and I went at that hard and it was uh, we expected our I expected my cur dogs to to hunt like the hounds that I'd had. Yeah. You know, if you're treed, you need to be treed, yep. and I don't want you out here messing around. I'd set them up and sneak in there and and tone them back on trees and, and correct milling around at the tree and all that stuff if I had it. But a lot of these, a lot of those curves that I saw coming along, they were, they were tree dogs, yeah. you know, for real. Yeah. That's what they're kind of gearing towards. Now. A lot of people, mm -hmm. it seems like half the community's looking to get treed and half the community's looking to have squirrels in every tree. Right. And eventually I think it's all going to work itself out, you know, it will. Yeah. And I think they're just, they're on the same path that the coonhounds were. And with the money coming into that sport, uh, then I think it's going to just expedite everything to where eventually you're just going to have better quality dogs. That's my opinion anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I've been out of touch with it for a long time. I really don't know what's going on over there much anymore. Yeah. No, I don't, I'm not, of course I'm maybe talking out my butt here too because i don't really know it that well either all i know is what i've seen and what i hear people talk about you know through the dog food and all that stuff yeah i gotta yeah. figure out how to mute this mic so i can let, yell at that healer just yell at him hold on a second. i know because you always gripe at me for not muting the mic when i yell at my dog 
Just move your cursor around. It's there in the left hand corner. Hold on. Mute. Shut up, Bogan. Shut up. I think someone might. They're building building a new building out in the yard. I think they're out there working. I yelled at it. I yelled at him for you. Yeah, he heard you. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, he just immediately shut up. But yeah, every, uh, time, every time I go to yell at a dog or go get a drink, you're like, you know, you can hit that mute button. And then the one time I'm getting ready to yell at him, you tell me not to. <laughs> uh, you got you to gotta have something to talk about. So what else is going on? What else are we going to talk about in this? Well, I was going to rant. We got <laughs> off subject a little bit, like we always do. But, you know, the truth. You were talking about bridging gaps in yes, the beginning. And we went on a way... Truth. Houndsman XP and of course the truth and all that stuff, you know, we were bridging gap. The truth was kind of there to bridge the gap between the big game guy and the competition guy, you know, bear dog hunter in Wisconsin and the PKC hunter in Louisiana, you know? And so we've done, I think we've done a really good job of that. And we brought a lot of that to the table, but there's all kinds of opportunities for that. And we were, we've been talking around this subject the whole time, you know, the coon numbers, uh, that is a good opportunity to bridge a gap between the big game hunter, the turkey hunter, and the and the houndsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a huge opportunity. Uh, these guys, they don't like the coon on their feeders. They don't like the coon eating the turkey eggs. They don't like this. All we have to do is conduct ourselves in the right way and play this the right way, and then all of a sudden we're adored by a community that used to hate us. Yeah. You know, yep. it's, it's real close if we do it right. If if you go down to the big hunting clubs down south there and hunt on some of those where they keep deer corn out all year yeah. long. Yeah. We don't get, I've never been turned down from coon hunting there because they're not, they don't want to pay to feed coons. No. You, you look know, at what, the, what they spend on deer corn in East Texas on that ranch that we stay on. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot of money. So you're actually doing them a favor. And like you said, if you conduct yourself in the right way, maybe you only get to hunt it three months out of the year. But that's that's a lot of acreage that yes. that you didn't have that you're not going to have any other time of the year. Yeah. And and why should we be the selfish ones when it comes because we talked about how there's never enough deer for the deer hunters, there's never enough turkey for the turkey hunters, and so on and so forth. We can we can be the unselfish group and say, look, you know, it's yours nine months out of the year. I just, or t- 11 months out of the year. Give me a month. Give me a month. I'll go down there. I'll knock your coon population down. You'll see less coon on your feeders. I got a good spot to hunt my young dogs. It's their property. You know, it's their mm-hmm. tax money. It's their, you know, maybe it's their dream, their dream to own 40 acres in the Ozarks or their dream to own a hundred thousand acres in Texas. It's the same thing. You know, we, we can, we have the opportunity to come in there and, to look at it as a gift instead of it's my right. Yeah. Cause it's not, no, it's not our right. <laughs> you know, it, it's a, it's a favor that they are doing to us, you know, or giving us. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we sit back and we scream when the anti hunter comes out and makes, we talked about it, you know, the brown eyes and the eyelashes are making yeah. an, emo- an emotional, decision or developing uh, an opinion based on emotion 
So when I see people who go completely off the deep end over a coon killing contest, you are making that, that opinion. You're developing that opinion based on emotion because mm -hmm. it's not scientifically backed, you know, it's not based in science. It's not going to hurt that your opportunity. Sound like, you sound like Anthony Fauci. Just trust the science. <laughs> that's <laughs> see, that's the biggest problem. And they're, I mean, our houndsmen are the most conservative crowd on the face yeah. of the earth. No doubt about it. And so even science has been weaponized and politicized now oh. where we don't know what, what to believe and what not to believe and everything is a conspiracy and, and, and all this stuff, but nobody's, nobody's weaponizing the taking of raccoons for some political gain. No. Like they're the, Wuhan, like the Wuhan virus, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's not, it's not weaponized. There's nothing in it for politicians to come up with some conspiracy to stop no. raccoon hunting. Well, we can't do nothing correct. Or bureaucrats. Yeah. Unless we detach ourselves. Yeah. You have to detach and look at things differently than, you know, yeah, it, it's no different than training a dog. Uh, me and Finley just finished a, a podcast a little bit ago about recognizing the holes in your dog. And you have to detach yourself and be honest with yourself, just like you do when you look at something like the coon killing contest, or you look at something like, someone taking a bear when you think bears are your effing spirit animal or something stupid, you know, it's just, you got to detach yourself and you got to yeah. do what's best for the species and do what's best for the organization or the group that you're with, you know, us as houndsmen, what's best for houndsmen right now? Is it, is it throwing a fit and going to kill a bunch of turkeys because someone shot a bunch of coons at a raccoon killing contest 700 miles from your house? <laughs> That, that, that is not what's best for house. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I'm in Louisiana and I'm mad because they had a coon killing contest in Minnesota, that's on me, you know, and I do, I do sort of get the complaint that, you know, this stuff spreads and all yeah. this stuff, but if there are no coons to kill, then the, the coon calling contest probably ain't gonna hurt you now. You know, if they have one in some place where you have low coon numbers and they kill 10, Big deal. Yeah. So yeah. Well, anyway. Dan Bra Dan Brayman even said it. He said, if there's not a problem there with predators, we're not gonna do we're right. not gonna host a hunt there. No, you know, and it is one thing I didn't push Dan on enough is how much more important habitat is than predator control, in my opinion. And I, most of the biologists are gonna back that up. And I think Dan believes that as well. He did touch on it, but we didn't press on it enough. Uh, there's been a lot of habitat loss and changes that, oh, yeah. that has helped not only up the coon population, but to lower the turkey population too. So it all, it should always be habitat first, especially the ground nesting birds, quail, pheasant, turkeys, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Predator control is a deal. I mean, they, there is a thing. We yeah. have too many coons in the Midwest. There are too many. And I'm a coon hunter and I will always be a coon hunter, but there's too Here, many. Okay. Here's, here's another spin on it. Delta waterfowl has been doing predator mm -hmm. management and predator trapping in the wetlands, a place that no houndsman's hunting up yeah. in North Dakota. It's all cattail and flooded, flooded ground. Yeah. There's only two houndsmen out there and they ain't hunting those spots. Yeah. They, I mean, they've been doing that for 30 years Yeah, and it didn't hurt my coon population. No. 
No. I'm not going to North Dakota to hunt a uh, uh, wetland. Yeah. It, I might, it, it'd be it fun to take spread. the terrier up there. They haven't they haven't trapped duck lakes in Texas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Waterfowl's not down there murdering the coons. <laughs> you right. Know? And so, yeah, we got to detach. You know, yeah. just like the fur mom has to detach from, oh, my God, they killed a, a black bear that just knocked over 10 trash cans and tore into a garage. Uh, we got to detach from seeing things like that and losing our mind. But that's part of being in the social media day and age. Yeah. You know, uh, it is too easy to make comments. Yeah. Yeah. Any more. My rule of thumb is if I'm triggered by something and I think I'm going to, I'm, I always set it aside and I just walk away and think about it for a little bit. And then I usually, then I usually decide, "Ah, I'm not even going to respond to that. What was the old football coach? Uh, he used to coach for the chiefs and the jets. Mm. Uh, his big saying when he went to talk to the the new rookies is don't press send. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't press send. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Step back. Think about it. Don't press send. Cause that don't go away. I don't know. I mean, I've deleted some posts too. Not very often. Normally if I type something, it's pretty well thought out and I don't care if it's out there, but we've all done it. Two bourbons deep and your dogs look like crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you've got on Facebook while your dog's been trailing for three hours longer than it should have. And, you know, you type something out and you're, you probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah. You know, but we need to really consider what we, I did out. that once I, I, I typed one out and sent it and then I deleted it. Yeah. And then the guy started bashing me cause I deleted my comment. Like I didn't have the, the guts to, if you're going to say it, just say it. You don't need to post a comment and delete it. And I was thinking, oh. Dude, judgment's a better part of valor here, and I yeah, I'm not, there's that's not going to help anybody. So, no, I've no walked, thanks. I've walked things back. If we can, if you're too stubborn to walk something back, then it, it, that's a you problem. Yeah, even the great Josh Michaelis makes a mistake every now and then. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not telling me anything. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's really, I just wanted to, because I thought this would be a good Circle Points episode. We can talk about the wolves, talk about the trap, and, and it all kind of ties in together. You know, it's all about yeah. bridging gaps, and we try to do that between the competition coon hunters and the big game hunters, the big game hunters and the and the houndsmen, period. I'll tell you a gap that needs to be bridged is the competition hunter and the and just the coon hunter, the, yeah, the standard try. I don't coon know. hunter, you know? Some of them... But the thing of it is, I don't care who it is, nine times out of 10, you know, the guy that if he gets that stem winding dog, that he's going to take it to town. Yeah. And all of a or sudden he's going to find somebody that will. Yeah. Or he's yeah. going to sell it to somebody that will. Yeah. So both sides need the other side because yeah. guys like Bub Blackwell don't go buy, buy dogs from Mike Rainey. Mm-hmm. Mike Rainey buys dogs from him. You know, exactly. Bub goes out here and finds these dogs that have potential, brings that potential out, and then he cashes out. Yep. You know, We've all done so it. He, so he needs he needs that guy that that that's just a pleasure hunter, if yep. you want to call it there. That I always hated that term, pleasure hunter. I never got in any pleasure out of a out of hunting a counterfeit dog. You know, no. Um, and sometimes hunting is not pleasurable. Yeah. Otherwise, this wouldn't be fair chase. Yep. You know, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to yep. make a dog. I don't sure care does. if it's a bear dog or a lion dog or a coonhound. It takes work and effort. And sometimes, 
you got to drag yourself off that lazy boy and go do it when you don't want to. That's been hard for me lately. Yeah, not for me. The weather, well, this time of year, I really get popular. I always loved hunting this time of year, but just like today, I spread 40 bags of mulch and just, you know, getting stuff and yep. I'm just a puss. Yeah. <laughs> I get like that every now and then, but it's usually about July. Man, I used to, you know, you I could put in a full day spreading rock or whatever, and I couldn't wait for it to get dark. Yeah. And some of it too, for me is, you know, when the kids were here, Carrie was busy and she was busy with kids in the evenings and, and all that stuff. I didn't feel bad about yep. going out and leaving her and leaving her home. And now I go out a lot of times, a lot of times I'll go out and I'd be like, I mean, I might be an anomaly, but I kind of enjoy spending time with my wife, you know, nope. I get it. I enjoy it. And it's, it's just, um, so I mean, I'm still hunting. It's just not, but not used to, man. If if the road was blocked, I'd go a different direction. You yeah. know, if the if my driveway was blocked, well, I'll just go from the house. You know, yeah, I'm going. When it, I'd come home from working a midnight, you know, a three thirty to midnight shift, and as soon as I hit the driveway, man, I was peeling stuff off and getting ready to go and throwing dogs in the truck and gone. I I rarely hunt for the fun of it anymore. I need to get back to that, and I haven't. I haven't hunted for the fun of it in years. Uh, maybe every now and then, once a year, maybe I'll take the kids out just for fun and let them hunt with old dogs and just enjoy being with them or something, but that's always with a goal in mind. Uh, probably the last 20 years. It's only because of an end goal or a hunt I'm getting ready for or a young dog I'm really excited about that I have no intention of keeping. I plan on making a profit on you know, selling. You know, it's always something like that that drives me to go. Right now, we're getting ready for nationals, and we're getting ready for our truck hunt, and yeah. I can't wait to hit the woods. You know, the, I want to compete. funnest hunt I've been on all year was when I went up and hunted with Bub and Chris Allen and that friend of Chris Allen's up there. We just had a good time. Yeah. We just we just had fun. But I used to be miserable to hunt with. When I had oh, I squirrel, still am. I when, still am. When I had squirrel dogs, you know, everybody else was out there kicking leaves and stuff and i it was business yeah you know i was i was training dogs and same way with the coon dogs and and everything but so i haven't it probably took a lot of the enjoyment out front out of it for me and that's why you know i just kind of took a took a big break from the competition scene yeah and i'm i have to have that young dog or i have to have that to drive me otherwise because you know and i envy those guys that oh i just like to go and listen to the hounds go and if i tree a coon that's fine i just like being out in the woods at night and hearing the dogs run i wish i was that way i really do even even when i go you know i i'm not out there to enjoy the night i want to i want dogs to get busy and yeah. get their job done you know a, so. a dog looking bad ruins my night yeah and you know, i'll get home frustrated and can't sleep at four in the morning when i got to get up for work at 6 30 you know and I, that dog was looking bad i got a hunt coming up or this young dog took a step backwards and now i got to start you know two steps away from where i thought i was and you know it just it absolutely makes me in a bad mood hey i know we're closing in we got a couple other things we need to do but uh did you listen to that podcast that heath dropped with clinton sillier no, I've not yet. Man, you need to listen to that. Sounds a little bit bad on the second one, but they get into talking about 
giving those dogs breaks yeah you know and and we always think man you just pound them for 30 days and and you'll hunt hunt them out of it yeah. hunt them out of it i hate that phrase and and clinton silliers is world-renowned for his and for his tracking dog training mm -hmm. and he and heath go in deep about the benefits and the value of of giving the dog a break yeah. that's how i got involved with big country yeah i was getting ready to blow up jazz i remember where we were the night it happened i flip her loose and i mean she was up to that point she was like get gone get treat and she was looking phenomenal i flip her loose she runs 30 yards and she has stopped and looked at me and I went up there and I thought, well, I'm going to recast you and flipped her loose. She went out about 50 yards and did a circle around and came back behind me. And I thought, what in the world? So I thought she was, and then it dawned on me. I was like, I've been pounding yeah. this 10 month old pup. Like she was a four year old dog. Yep. And so I took her home on the way home. I called Donnie. I said, Hey, what's, what are you doing with country? He's just standing out in the kennel behind the barn. That's how it happened. Yeah. Nope. We blown, we, we, me and Jed done that podcast on the truth about all the dogs we've blown up. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, necessarily the quantity as to what you're doing to them while you're out there too. Yeah. I mean, you it's, get frustrated, yeah. you know, so you end up making bad decisions and correcting behavior that are overcorrecting. Yep. Cause once they get on my bad side, gun, they can't. That applies to gun dogs too. Yeah. You know, when I'm doing retrievers, when I was doing retrievers, I, I would take steps backward all the time because I got frustrated back, back in the day, man. If I, if a dog got on my bad side, they could do not, they couldn't do anything. Right. Yeah. And when they did, it was like, it's about time you idiot. You know, <laughs> here's the thing is I recognize that in myself too, but I still stubborn enough that I'm not going to change the way I do things as much as I'm just going to get rid of the dog. The minute I don't like one, I sell it. Yeah. If I, if I've got a bad opinion on that dog two or three nights in a row, come get it. I'm done. Yeah. I know several people like that. Yep. And there's, they come in litters. <laughs> I don't get too attached to them. <laughs> Except for Boga, yeah. that idiot's still sticking around. I hear you. But yeah. Oh. That's yeah, all my I high, got, Chris. My high strung yog is sacked out on the futon behind me here. That's nice. <laughs> Mine's getting ready to go out and try to attack these builders if I let him out that door. So I'm just going to keep him inside for a little bit. I hear you. Good deal. No, yeah, we need to get together more often. Yep, we do. Uh, good conversation, I thought. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we'll wrap it up and uh, we'll move on to the next one. Huh? Sounds good. All right, this is Josh Michaelis with the Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. We thank you for listening.